Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, September 20th, 2018, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their series in Cleveland, winning tonight in extra innings 5-4. to four. And again, it was a tough time as the White Sox finished with a record of 1-8 in Cleveland this season. We'll recap that series as we saw Ian Hamilton's blown save, Yohan Mikata's warming up offensively, more Daniel Polka home runs, and Omar Neves flexing his muscles. Also this weekend is the second part of our favorite series of the season. It's the Crosstown Classic. The Chicago Cubs come to visit the South Side, and it'll be the last time we hear Hawk Harrelson call White Sox games. We'll preview, we will preview that series later in the show. But joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox finally win a game in Cleveland. Maybe because the Browns won. Yeah, you know, I could see that. I could see basically at the same time. I wonder if it came down. It probably came down a matter of seconds. I think I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe the, uh, the team after their win in Cleveland should just, uh, bust open some bud lights and, uh, join the party that's going on with the Browns fans and everybody can, you know, riot it up for finally winning in Cleveland. Yeah, it's just a shame they have a day game tomorrow. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, <laughs> true. How, how would you know the difference? <laughs> First of all, whoever decided that the Friday game of this series 
is going to start at 310. Should be fired. That's... I don't understand why you're going to have a 310 Friday game. You expecting yeah. people to take off for this game? I don't know. I wonder if, you know, maybe when the schedule's uh, made out, maybe they assumed that Getaway Day would actually be a day game in Cleveland? Yeah, well, it's weird, and uh, I don't know what the energy level is going to be for the White Sox players, because you just wrapped up that game, and you got to get to the airport. You're not landing until, gosh, 3 or 4 in the morning, and you got to wake up and come back to the ballpark. Oh, man, it's it's not going to be a fun Friday. Well, again, we'll preview as far as the – the series that's coming up this weekend against the Chicago Cubs uh, later in the show. But, you know, recapping the Indian series, the White Sox won one out of three. They had an opportunity to win this series, uh, but we saw in game two that Ian Hamilton ended up blowing the save thanks to Jason Kipnis taking him deep for a walk-off grand slam. And I know the rosters have expanded, Jim, but we are seeing a lot of pitching changes in meaningless September games. How are you handling the way that Rick Renteria is managing? I, I know we've been critiquing his bullpen usage, and it's he's no it's he's no stranger to three or four pitcher innings. Uh, but with the expanded rosters, I, I feel like he's taking this to the extreme. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I'm never a fan of four pitcher innings, and I understand. I guess the thought behind it or the sentiment behind it is that, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, a game against a very good team and, uh, you know, trying to get a win however you can get it, you don't want to put young guys, you know, rookies getting their first taste of the majors, you know, in a position to fail. You want to avoid that. On the other hand, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, as in the case with the Kipnis, Homer, it's unavoidable, you know, <laughs> when it's late innings, uh, tie game, somebody's going to lose the game. And, you know, given that the bull, how the bullpen is composed, chances are it's going to be a rookie. I think, Tonight probably could have cut out a couple people when he went to Rob Scahill. Probably could have gone to Wamanaya instead. Um, you know, that seemed like, you know, when it gets to a guy like Rob Scahill pitching versus somebody like Frere or Hamilton, you know, pitchers who have stuff but maybe not commander experience, you know, that's one way to get experience, even if it's the hard way. But when you have Scahill, who is, you know, just a fringe, you know, quadruple A arm journeyman riding it out, um, that's the one I don't quite get. And I think at that point, I think you go to Wamanaya. Uh, who can get, you know, he's strong against righties, but can get, you know, either hit or out, um, you know, with, with a, at a decent rate. So, um, you know, that's a case where I just thought that he was, didn't really, yeah, maybe he didn't think that far ahead, <laughs> you know, when it came to, um, you know, how he was lining up his relievers, or maybe he was just hoping for the best case scenario. And when that didn't happen, when the walk started piling up, um, he just was not uh, um, planning for that outcome. Was it three consecutive pitching changes led to a walk tonight? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, Scahill, then Frere, then Manaya. Yeah, the the quartet of Aaron Bummer, Rob Scahill, Caleb Fryer, and Juan Manaya combined to pitch two innings for four pitchers. Yeah, Bummer, I mean, he did his job, and, and Adam Engel not... It was, you know, it was, I would say it's a tough play for most center fielders, but Angle should have had the deep fly to start the inning. He just got a weird break on it and also approached it strangely at the track to where he didn't like take a direct line and, and, and meet the ball at the spot. He kind of got carried into it sideways into the wall and lost control. So that's a case where 
you know, like the night before, whereas a swinging bunt, just the a, a batted ball that should have been turned into an out under most circumstances was not, and the wheels fell off. And then you have Hector Santiago throwing the last three innings of this game. Earning the win, he's now 6-3 and three on the season. Cleveland used eight pitchers, but Terry Francona is no stranger to using mm-hmm. a lot of pitchers in a game, especially in September. It's just when you have these meaningless games going on, it just really stretches the game time with all these pitching changes by both managers. And I, I just think that at the moment, I know we're heading to the home stretch, but I, I do think Jim Rick Renteria is overmanaging these games. What? Yeah, no, I can agree with that. I, I don't know what you learned from having Caleb Frere throw to one guy, but anyways, moving on from the bullpen usage and, uh, the revolving door of relievers, which I'm sure is not going to slow down in the remaining games of 2018. Uh, let's talk about some positives here. Yoan Mikata. Uh, Mikata was 6 for 14 in this series, Jim, and he's 19 for 64 hitting in the month of September, which is a 297 batting average. Are we seeing Mikata finally make some adjustments in his offense approach and getting better results this month? I think there, you know, the... I think he's found some level of balance with his aggressiveness or his passiveness. Um, you know, not chasing too much, but also uh, swinging in counts. He should be swinging, or I think there's more of a protect mode with him. I've seen him choking up more. So I think he's trying, and I think it's, you know, resulting in some nice line drive swings to right field and, and you know, getting some lift on the ball, uh, but not selling out. I think he did a little bit in his last at-bat, getting a little bit carried away, a little bit off balance, uh, carrying it into the... Uh, Inside pitches, his body was going over the plate, his hands were going around, kept jamming himself. That was a case where I thought he's maybe doing a little bit too much and the moment got to him. But the nice thing about Makata's month is that he's been able to shake off bad games. Like he's you know, had three strikeout games uh, on and off. And But uh, when he has a, uh, you know, when he posts a, a big crooked number in that column or an ugly game, he doesn't carry it over into the next game. And so I think that's. You know, that ultimately might be his future for a little while is just very uneven play, but, you know, a more even ratio of uh, awful games and thrilling moments. And then Daniel Polka, he has 26 home runs in the year. He had a nice little stretch where he had a home run in three consecutive games, four home runs over that stretch. You know, there's still time left, Jim. Can he get to 30 home runs this year? Uh, it's going to be tough just with the matchups. I mean, they have another series with Cleveland and, you know, we've seen how they match up. Uh, you know, they have a number of lefties to go at them, Miller in hand and such. So I think given the series left, I'm a little bit skeptical he can. But, no, it's been a nice run for him. And I think uh, this last game showed that, um, you know, he still can be susceptible to a steady diet of junk, you know, stuff dropping out of the zone. But uh, on the other hand, you know, it, it – uh, there might be a little bit of regression involved just because he has been walking at an above average rate in September. So perhaps he's, you know, susceptible to bad games, but like Moncada can, you know, have these games where he's a little bit out of control and then mm-hmm. just regain some order. And then Omar Neves, uh, there's been a lot of chatter, especially on White Sox Twitter and in the comments section of SoxMachine.com about Narvaez and the future with the White Sox. Narvaez flexed his muscles in this series. He hit a couple of home runs for the White Sox. He has nine home runs on the season, which is not a huge total, but it's a lot more than I was expecting out of the light-hitting Omar Narvaez that we have grown to know the last couple of years. 
And obviously, it's been a big transformation since June 1st. I have a story about this coming up tomorrow on Friday on SoxMachine.com where I took the last 10 years, Jim, of all the production for what I considered starters at each position, players that played more than half of the season at a particular position, just to get an idea of what an average starter is and what that war total is. And for catchers in the last 10 years, according to BaseballReference.com, the average catcher sits at 1.7 war, which is right where Omar Naveas is for 2018. And there are some Sox fans that are suggesting, well, why don't they just move Wellington Castillo because they are that confident in Narvaez's progression that he should be the starting catcher moving forward. Are you a firm believer in Narvaez's offensive transformation? And have we seen enough in 2018 to think that maybe Rick Hahn would go in that direction? I don't think so. I don't think Castillo has much in the way of uh, value. He's not really been able to build it up in September. It uh, would being unavailable with the, I think it's an elbow issue he's got now. You know that that could kind of dust himself off and say like, look, I'm you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna juice again. I'm still hitting the way I hit with Baltimore and the way I hit earlier in the year. No big deal. Um, you know, there's no risk in acquiring me. But he's not really doing that. So I don't see there being a great trade. And like we talked about uh, last time with Kevin Smith, um, yeah, I, I don't think he's an answer for White Sox pitchers when it comes. You know, he's a better framer than Narvaez, but doesn't control the running game at all. That gets away from him. I think I'd rather have Castile than Smith, but I don't mind having Narvaez battle him for the starting job. You know, not make it, um, you know, not assume that Castillo is the number one catcher just because, you know, given, I, I don't think Narvaez is going to prove at this point as a receiver. And I think that dings his value to knock him a bit below average, even though he has the White Sox leader in OPS, I think at this point. Um, yeah, he's at 809 for OPS. That is the team lead for that that category, which is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which it's, is it's great remarkable. for Omar. Yeah, it's remarkable in two ways. We'll put it that way. But um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, there is a chance. We have seen once in a while catchers be able to improve, even if it's just like a one-shot deal where they are receiving a whole lot better and transform their, their defensive value. So I'm not giving up on Narvaez. And I think he's shown enough offensively to where he's, um, you know, he can start for, you know, extended periods of time and not be a detriment to the team. But uh, I think, you know, it's uh, in both Castillo's interest and Narvaez's interest and even, you know, adding the White Sox in their interest just to have everybody keeping each other honest. Yeah, I don't know how I feel just because the way I, there's two ways I look at it. And I think what's shadowing my opinion on the situation, Jim, is that for whatever reason, the White Sox just do not believe in continuity at the catching position. It's a different starter that they plan on having year in, year out. It might be somebody that's not even part of the organization. I, You know, maybe they move Castillo and then sign somebody else to maybe pair up with Omar Nervais. In the end, Nervais and Smith played a lot, and I thought that was the duo that was going to start 2018 after the 2017 season, Jim. And I feel like we're kind of repeating the same conversation, but... That's only because Wellington Castillo got suspended for 80 games. That if Castillo doesn't get suspended and the way that the first two months went on for Narvaez, where he was terrible in April and May, he probably would have been sent down 
<laughs> honestly, uh, and then had Smith call up, and we would have mm-hmm. not seen this type of season for Omar Nevea. So maybe that's the silver lining in having your one free agent uh, acquisition uh, be suspended mm-hmm. for 80 games is that maybe this is a for real progression or maybe it's just a fluke season because obviously we saw with Avi last year, all-star Avi, and then he gets hurt and banged up. And even when he is healthy, uh, I don't think he's fully healthy. Uh, he, he's still not performing at a high level, but it is interesting to see that Omar Nevaez is at the average for a starting catcher at 1.7 wins above replacement. According to baseball reference, you mentioned that he's leading the team in OPS, which is kind of depressing. Moving forward for the White Sox, as far as the the whole average lineup, if they're ever going to snap this uh, losing season streak, right now where they're at is that they're average at catcher with Nervaez. Yomer Sanchez and Tim Anderson are above average at shortstop and third. Uh, The everywhere else is a problem, especially... Especially in the outfield. When you Mm -hmm. see the outfield average numbers, even in left field, which is the worst performing position in the last 10 years. That surprised me, Jim, in in terms of war. The average left field starter is at 1.4 wins above replacement in the last 10 years. Nicky Domonico leads the White Sox and starts in left field, and he's at negative half a win. Yeah, I can see that just because of the terrible defense that has been played there between Vicieto and Melky and Delmonico, you know, learning. And I think Delmonico has been better this year, but last year he was terrible. Um, I think it's just been, you know, <laughs> not great hitters hemorrhaging a lot of value with their defense. And so, yeah, that, that stands, that, that checks out to me. Well, it's just not the white side. It's all of major league baseball. Mm. Yeah. All of major league baseball. Yeah. Left field is the worst position huh. performing position. Yeah. I'm guessing it's the, it's it must be the defense. I think it's where the worst defenders are usually stashed. Yeah. And center field is the top performing where your average center fielder in the last 10 years as a starter is averaging 2.4 wins above replacement. Mike Trout. Mike Trout is dragging. Yeah, he's carrying a lot of that load. Uh, I'll have the uh, the spreadsheets available if you guys want to see the uh, all of the data that I was able to compile for this research. Yeah, it's a lot of Mike Trout, but uh, it'll be interesting. You guys could come through it tomorrow and the whole thing about the practice as far as the column is just to see how far away the White Sox are from having an average lineup because before they can go from rebuild to contender, I got to imagine they have to hit the middle of the road before they become a playoff team. And that lineup carries that team into the postseason. But moving on, as far as with the show, uh, again, the White Sox were able to pull out the win in Cleveland. And I still think that the overbet is still in play. That was win number 60 for the Chicago White Sox. They're 60 and 92. So all they have to do, Jim, is finish 9 and 1 in the remaining 10 games of the year uh, to hit the over for Las Vegas for interested parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's go ahead and preview the upcoming Chicago Cubs and White Sox series. And before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far 
too complicated. With hundreds of sites at varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. With every purchase fully guaranteed, you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence and you can make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything, not just sports, but you can use SeatGeek for concerts, comedy, and theater too. I use SeatGeek all the time to buy White Sox tickets, and for those that are interested in going to the Crosstown Classic or any of the remaining home games that the White Sox have, highly recommend going on SeatGeek and using our promo code to save some money as tickets are pretty expensive this weekend for the Cubs and White Sox. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE to save $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And now previewing the upcoming weekend series between the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. And we'll break down the pitching probables here first. Again, we talked about the Friday start time and how ridiculous it is. But Friday, first pitch is at 3.10 p.m. Central Time. It will be old friend Jose Quintana making the start for the Chicago Cubs. His first start back at Guaranteed Rate Field since being traded. He'll be going up against Ronaldo Lopez, who has been on fire in his last five starts. On Saturday, it is a 6.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is John Lester against Lucas Giolito. And on Sunday, it is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Kyle Hendricks against Carlos Rodon, who, again, started the Monday game against the Cleveland Indians so he could start the game on Sunday against the Chicago Cubs. There's a lot of storylines coming into this series, Jim. A lot of them have to do with the Chicago Cubs because they are still in a fight for the National League Central against the Milwaukee Brewers. Obviously, this series means far more to the Cubs than it does with the White Sox. But I want to start the conversation with Jose Quintana's return. Quintana has been pitching very well for the Chicago Cubs as of late, coming through for them in the last couple months of the season. And now he returns home. I'm expecting White Sox fans, for those that do go to the game, will give Quintana a standing ovation. But in year two, I should say not even year two, a year and a half, a season and a half, I should say, uh, since the trade that Quintana has gone to the Cubs, do you think that from a Cubs perspective, this deal was worth it for them? I think so. With you, Darvish, uh, flopping the way he has, I think it reinforces uh, Quintana's value. And I think Quintana has done that himself because there was a point a month ago where he looked very shaky. The fastball was getting rocked, uh, did not have his command, uh, and, and just things were going south for him. And, and it looked like uh, the Cubs had potentially two liabilities in their hands. Also, Tyler Chatwood, him being a disaster. I think Quintana shows his value just between, you know, trading for him versus who they've signed. I think uh, the trade, even though they gave Balot and Elo Jimenez and Dylan Cease, um, Quintana is showing why he's essential to keeping the Cubs' role going. Yeah, Katana this year is 13 and 10. He has an opportunity if he earns the win. Again, pitching wins don't matter that much, but he has a chance to set a career high in wins for a season at 14 if he wins Friday's game. Uh, but his ERA is at 3.95, and he has 142 strikeouts. The, the strikeouts are pretty low uh, for Katana this season. 
And again, it'll be it's going to be a nice moment when he steps on the mound and faces the White Sox for the first time uh, since the trade. I also like I also like that he's facing Reynaldo Lopez just because Lopez has kind of inherited his bad luck and lack of run support. So I think it would be fitting if they both exited to like a one-one game after six. <laughs> it could be low scoring. It it really could be low scoring. Vegas has this game at a. They think that the over-under for runs scored is nine, and I, I think it's going to be under. I think Ronaldo Lopez is going to pitch very well against the Chicago Cubs. I know we talked about it on Monday, Jim, that you think that the last five starts for Ronaldo Lopez has mostly been because he's facing weak-hitting lineups. With the Cubs lineup, we know that they have a lot of potential, but for whatever reason, they are hot or cold where they could put up 11 runs on you or they struggled to get more than one hit. Like their last game against the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks just threw out pretty much their AAA team on the field, waving the white flag in the race of in the National League West. And then they blanked the Cubs 9 to nothing, and the Cubs get <laughs> one hit in, in the whole game. Uh, so the, the Cubs at times offensively, it's been baffling. The starting pitching, though, has been rock steady for them. Uh, so I'm expecting a low-scoring affair on Friday between Quintana and Lopez. But the other games, you have Lester against Giolito, and you have Hendricks, which the White Sox have hit pretty well recently, against Carlos Rodon. How do you think this series will fare for the White Sox? Eh, see them losing two out of three. But... It's it's I think Giolito's got a big start for him just because of his first inning problems, um, especially first inning problems in a stadium with a sellout crowd. I think Saturday is the one game that's sold out so far um, Sunday. Yeah, I think all of them will be sold out eventually. But right now, I think, you know, just being such a, you know, charged atmosphere and Giolito taking so long to get his footing. Uh, I hope that this is the case where you know he does manage to have an easy uh you know, first and be able to settle in just to kind of quiet the crowd. Otherwise, I think the game, you know, stands to get away from him the way it has for you know, a number of his starts this year. And we also need to see if Carlos Rodon can bounce back because yeah, he's really struggling as of late. It was an interesting situation as far as on on Monday on Tuesday's game, I should say, against Cleveland. There was an opportunity for him to to pitch the complete game. He only threw 84 pitches in seven innings, and we still have right. We still haven't seen a complete game since Rick Renteria has been the manager. Right. Yeah, I think for for Rodon and Giolito, they both just haven't really had the swing and miss stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Giolito had the combination working for a while, the big changeup and uh, two seamer. You know, getting that you know nice tailing action on both pitches and. Uh, fooling guys. I don't know if the scouting report has been updated or he just hasn't been able to execute it well enough, but yeah, just the swings and misses have dried up for both of them. And I think that's where that's the one column I'm looking at the most for each of their starts. So other than the action on the field, there's going to be a lot of attention in the broadcast booth because this is the last series for Hall Carrollson calling White Sox games and I know I'm going to be watching as far as all three games to take in the, I guess, last time I'll be able to watch a series of Hall Carrollson calling games, even though I'm ready to move on, Jim. That's kind of where I am with with Mm -hmm. Hawk here. Uh, But what are you expecting to see from Hawk this weekend as far as broadcasting these games? And what are you hoping to see from him? 
Um, yeah, I guess I'm not expecting too much different just because we've seen him, uh, <laughs> you know, this, this, this whole year, I think I was expecting something different or maybe the opportunity for more reflection and more, um, you know, I, I guess less of the soundboard, but that really hasn't been the case. And with the schedule coming out and with the Cubs and White Sox back to four games next year, uh, you know, two and two, which, uh, Harrelson hates, hmm. I can see him ranting about the schedule next year and, We'll kind of want to set an over-under on how many times he'll say that baseball is built on three things, great players, tradition, and rivalries. I could see that at least being three and a half you know, <laughs> over the course of the weekend. But uh, I'm hoping, you know, that he'll be able to pull out a uh, just a nice, you know, and also I'm hoping the games don't get away from him to where he'll, you know, kind of uh, be in the mood for, you know, uh, yeah, I hope there's at least one good winner for him that he can get up for. I think I'd want to hear that the most, just that there's a game that has him engaged the whole time through, has him pull off a couple of great calls, and everybody you know, gets what they want in the last series. I'm hoping it's not a downer in that regard, but yeah, that's, I guess, my hope. One great game, and then at the end, just you know, be able to pull out of soundboard mode and uh, you know, speak from... You know, he always talks about that dichotomy between uh, Ken and Hawk, and Hawk you know, is the broadcaster, and Ken... Yeah, I hope we hear more Ken, I guess, you know, more honesty and less of the prefab baseball comments that kind of, uh, you know, became cliche a long time ago. Hmm. I don't think we're going to see that though. Do we want to see that? Because he dangerously was almost a little too honest when he brought up LeBron James. And oh, I think, well, I guess that depends. <laughs> it depends if that's Hawk or Ken. I guess it could be both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, just speaking from the heart, not, not ranting about other athletes and everything like that just speaking, you know, personally, what things mean to him, you know, what this mm. whole career has meant, what, you know, fans have meant, what, what, uh, players, you know, just, you know, a, a trip down, uh, you know, memory lane, um, and, and not in the way that he did with a speech to where he's just kind of recounting seasons and players, but just, you know, just being honest about it and, you know, emotionally honest about his own career. Now, something that was brought up to me, cause I went on the Ron Santo podcast, which is a Chicago Cubs podcast to help preview this series and the point that they're making is this is not a good series for Hawks last stand with the White Sox only because, and I think this is a very valid point, that Sunday game, Jim, you could see a lot of Cubs fans where they just take over the stadium. A lot of, because they were hoping to expect to clinch the National League Central on Sunday. That doesn't look like it's going to be the case uh, hmm. as the Brewers are just two and a half games behind. And the the Cubs fans, a, a lot of Cubs fans hate Hawk Harrelson. And Hawk has made it pretty clear how much he dislikes Wrigley Field. And the suggestion that they had was, well, why didn't they just let Hawk's last broadcast be against the Red Sox, where both fan bases love Hawk, instead of having his last broadcast a game where the opposing team is going to take over the stadium and they're going to boo him because they hate Hawk Harrelson. I think he likes being booed. <laughs> but isn't that weird, though? His yeah, it is weird. But I, I think it's you know, a matter of him. I think he wants to call the big games with the sold-out crowd with the fans who love him or hate him. And I think that's kind of his his attitude. And, and you know, kind of like in ESPN with Chris Berman, how he, you know, even though they phased him out, he managed to kind of have the seniority and the... Uh, you know, ability to kind of, you know, put his stamp on various events, even if, you know, 
somebody else is better suited for it. So it could be the case where just like, you know, it's ultimately his call, you know, even if, uh, you know, one might've been better, I guess, emotionally, or I guess in terms of the fan base at the stadium, you know, maybe not as tilted and maybe there won't be as many, you know, signs or jeers or boos or whatever. But I think, you know, given his personality, given how much he enjoys leaning into the Homer thing and, you know, how much he professes to hear uh, that, that he doesn't mind people telling him he sucks. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, this is kind of uh, all feeding into his uh, his energy for, for better or for worse. I still hope that he gets some type of ovation and that it's not raining down booze on Hawk Harrelson on Sunday. I just think it just... The optics would be bad. It would be very opposite, of course, of Vince Scully, right? Uh, on the way that you know Vince Scully said farewell. Of course, he got to call a walk-off home run and the Dodgers winning the division in his last broadcast, which I don't think he could set that situation up better for a long-term broadcaster calling their last game. And uh, I, I know that if things went the White Sox way. This would have been Michael Kopech starting on Sunday, uh, which would have really, I think, added to the juices and the excitement of Hawks last broadcast, a, a nice way of passing the torch. But how do you think Hawks last broadcast should end? Who do you think should be in the booth with him in the ninth inning? Well, I think it's going to be AJ. Um, sounds like they're lining up for that and AJ is going to join him. So, I, you know, whether Wimpy drops in or not, um, given that he's been around uh, for the Cleveland series due to Yom Kippur and, and Benetti's football schedule and such. Uh, I could see him dropping in too, just for uh, the heck of it, but uh, just for, you know, maybe one more inning or something like that. But yeah, I think uh, Stone doesn't need to be there just because, uh, you know, we've uh, the, yeah, there just hasn't been much there and uh, just kind of be uh, playing out the string versus, you know, having guys with a real connection. Hawk and AJ have a connection. Hawk and Wimpy have a connection. And, you know, if it were somehow a mix of those three at the end, um, you know, that's good enough. I was thinking it should be Hawk and Benetti. Hmm. And that, that would be passing the torch officially where Hawk signs off and we'll move forward knowing that Benetti is now the new voice of the White Sox full time. Yeah, that could work. At least for the ninth or something like that. That's what I was yeah. just the ninth inning. It it's gonna be a variety of every inning, I have to imagine, Jim, is going to be somebody else that comes into the broadcast booth, right? Other White Sox players, of course AJ Prasinski's gonna be there. But I just thought, you know, the ninth inning would be pretty cool if it was Hawk and Benetti. And and that's the way that, you know, it just keeps moving forward as far as the broadcast. And uh, it'd be awesome if the White Sox could find a way to have a walk-off win. Yeah. Hoping just for one of those games. You can't, can't be picky. I'm just hoping for one game where he can say this <laughs> ball game is over triumphantly. Yes. Yes. But if it could be Sunday, yes. that would be that'd be a great way to go. This should be a tough series for the White Sox. But again, with the Chicago Cubs, you just... You don't know. Their starting pitching has been very good. They've been very they've been doing a very good job on the run prevention side. It is the offense that you just don't know with the Cubs and their bullpen losing Brandon Morrow for the season. Uh, I don't know what to say about the National League as we sign off in this edition of Sox Machine Live. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the postseason races 
after all the weekend action as we should have some more clarity going into the final week of the season for Monday Sox Machine podcast. We'd love to hear your guys' thoughts as well over the weekend on how you think that these races are going to end. Uh, But in the National League, with every team having bullpen issues, Jim, I am imagining chaos in the divisional and uh, National League Championship Series rounds. I'm hoping. Well, I'm I'm hoping within reason. I'm not hoping for like five pitching changes in an inning and four and a half hour nine inning games. But no, that'll be in the American League. Yeah, but although, yeah, I think American League has good enough starters to avoid complete unraveling early. But maybe, yeah, National League will be uh, I think a gauntlet. Yeah, it's whoever gets the bat last, pretty much. No, yeah, the seventh through ninth innings is just going to be absolute chaos in the postseason. I don't trust any of the playoff contenders' bullpen because uh, the Brewers can't pitch Josh Hader every game. Maybe they can uh, for two innings every game. Yeah, I maybe mean, it might be like Andrew Miller to where you know he pitches every game basically, and then you know wears down. Right, and then <laughs> you want to you want to avoid him on your fantasy baseball team in 2019 just because you'd be exhausted. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. Uh, should be hopefully a fun series. And if the White Sox win the series, all the better because I'll just make Cubs fans really sweat out uh, the final week of the season, especially if the Brewers win their series or even sweep uh, over the weekend. It'll make things really, really interesting. But that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to all those that listen to the live stream on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get a chance to listen to the live stream, no worries. We always upload the podcast into our feed, which you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Have a terrific weekend, everybody. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.